0: Hey sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast.
1: We're Seattle fans talking Seattle Sports.
0: We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson.
1: And I'm Sam Hoganson.
0: You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode nine. And we're talking some more Husky football today. Sam, let's just go ahead and cut right to the chase. We're celebrating a, a, a victory on Saturday. We're, we're 1-0. The dogs are 1-0. What are you sipping on tonight, sir?
1: Well, I am getting super fancy tonight. I had a mystery bottle of single barrel select Jack Daniels dropped off at my front porch and no note or anything, so I didn't really know. What it was for and but you know a nice bottle of whiskey shows up on my front porch i don't ask too many questions but <laughs> it turns out it was a thank you gift from my brother and sister-in-law um, for officiating their wedding that took place a little while ago it was a really nice ceremony so i decided to crack it open and take a taste and it is delicious
0: right what about on. you connor well i already finished my manhattan so I've moved on to a Negro And then and I also have a rolling rock. A... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's that kind of night. So ready, 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 ready to talk some dogs though. It's it's been it's been a, a few days for me. Um, so yeah, as far as just like quick announcements, I mean Dowski's announced some pretty exciting news today unrelated to the the Oregon state game, but a local hero, Jermaine curse is coming back to the program as a program assistant. And he joins the Husky Husky staff. They can't technically have him on as a coach. I was hearing kind of weird things around this. I don't know. You might know more about this, Sam, but like, he can't technically coach, but he can be involved in team meetings and, you know, film room And obviously lend his hand in the recruiting trails as well. So I don't know if you have a little bit more to talk about maybe what his role is going to be at UW coming back to the program.
1: Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to know for sure what his role will be in terms of what he will be doing. But again, to Connor's point, the NCAA has some fairly stringent rules in terms of how many coaches can actually provide, in-person, on-field instruction to the student-athletes, both during practice and during games. And I don't know the number off the top of my head. For some reason, 21 coaches is is the number that is coming to the front of my brain, but I'm not I'll sure I'll trust if that's, you. I have no not, idea. I'm not sure if that's correct, but we obviously have our coaching staff for in-person, hands-on instruction already built out for the season. And this is a pretty typical... Catch all title and position for someone like Jermaine, who Mm -hmm. you know was a standout Husky player in his own right and had you know relatively successful professional career and makes his way back home to the Northwest and wants to get involved in coaching or the administrative side of college football. Maybe Jermaine has aspirations to get into coaching. I mean, recently we've seen this actually play out with a former middle linebacker for the Huskies, John Timu. He went on and had a handful of years in the NFL for the Chicago bears until he came back as a program assistant. I want to say two or three years ago. And now John Timu is an actual, actually a hands-on coach. He's a graduate assistant linebackers coach. And so Mm -hmm. he's obviously chosen to go down that coaching path, Mm -hmm. but For the last couple of years, Timu was really involved in more of the administrative, you know, aspects of taking care of the players, whether that, you know, is balancing school and football and getting to meetings on time, lending his hand in recruiting aspects, obviously being a successful product of the University of Washington football program, he's someone that you Want a spotlight and put on a pedestal, similarly to obviously Jermaine Curse being a hometown hero, tore it up at Lakes High School, then the Huskies, and then even further solidifying himself as a Seattle hero, joining the Seahawks and being a pretty integral part to our Super Bowl championship. No doubt. So, this is a really I, I'm really stoked about this. Having your key players. Return home not only says a lot about your program in the sense of, you know, it, the fact that it, people have enjoyed their experience here so much that they want to come back and give back right. to the players that are following in their footsteps, but you can't have enough people involved in the program that bleed purple and gold and really live for Husky football. And I think both John Timu and Jermaine Kirsch are those kind of guys. And so I imagine he'll be around the program for a while and more or less kind of just getting his feet wet into you know what he might be interested in in next year or the years down the road in terms of carving out his direction but it's awesome to have him around the guys around the program and I think he'll add a little bit of a spark to the building which you're always looking for
0: yeah no doubt for sure just like kind of that it's, it's always good to have another positive energy guy around around the program and like sam said jermaine curse is a husky through and through so can't think of a better better guy to have in the program as a program assistant than than jermaine curse all right sam let's uh let's kind of let's kind of toast to our final thoughts on this osu game and sam and i both watched the game again and obviously you watch it through a second time and you'll develop some other feelings. And I think both of us were kind of in the same sentiment on Saturday that it's a bit of a disappointing game just from the fact that we kind of barely eked out a win against a much inferior opponent in Oregon state, as far as talent goes. Um, But nonetheless, it was, it was a win. A win is a win. We always take a win. Um, Watching watching this again i think sam and i both agree that aside from sp- some special teams blunders this was probably like a three score game and um i know that we were texting about this o- earlier today sam i mean you had you had right off the bat after our first drive a like catastrophic punt punting situation yeah that turned into a beaver's touchdown that was like the epitome of what 2020 is as I said on Saturday just a ridiculous play and then credit credit the Huskies I mean they they responded from that to that right away with a touchdown drive and that was good to see like that was I I think that was probably Jimmy Lake put it as hit that was his favorite drive of the game was them facing that kind of adversity right off the bat and then responding to it and going and getting a touchdown and Sean McGrew was heavily involved in that, in that drive. And we saw some good things from him. Um, So that was, that was good to see. And then obviously later in the game, you have two kickoff return coverage uh, blunders that are that little man, champ Flemings, five five one forty one all, all that of him. Got back to about midfield twice and, Twice in the game and gave the Beavers really good field positions. Some some short fields that they ended up. I think they scored on probably both those drives. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, but. I
1: know for sure they scored on one. I can't remember if they did end up scoring on the second one, but yeah, I mean, those returns spotlighted two things for me. One, obviously, very negative, and one is actually a little bit of a positive. The negative, obviously, being like we need to clean. Clean that up quickly. Our kickoff coverage wasn't great last year either. It -hmm. needs to continue to improve. And I didn't see that over the weekend. So I'm hoping we can get that cleaned up. And it just seemed like there were some blown assignments and people getting out of their, you know, losing lane integrity and losing their gap and their responsibility.
0: I'm hoping hoping it's first game rust and jitters.
1: Yeah, because to Connor's point, you can't give your opponent such a short field. That's just a recipe for disaster where they only have to gain two first downs and then they're in field goal territory. They're going to put up points. But I would say the one positive out of that is the person that made the tackle on both of those long kickoff returns was our kicker, Tim Horn. Mm -hmm. And they were solid tackles. He's a big athletic guy. I'm pretty sure he's he's 6'2", 210. He's not your normal kicker. So, I mean, I don't want my kicker making tackles on the kickoff coverage ever, but it is kind of nice to know that you have someone back there that is not only fast and athletic as a last resort, but also willing and able to tackle. So in the instance that we do have, more long kick returns this season, which at this point I wouldn't be surprised if they happened. Mm -hmm. I don't foresee... Tim Horn is not going to be as susceptible to getting juked out of his pants like most kickers are, so that's kind (laughs) of nice to know that he's at least capable of making a play back there, but again, that's really digging for a silver lining behind two plays that really were quite pitiful kickoff coverage so if you look at that i mean we you look at that so we had gave up seven points on the botched punt Mm. i think they ended up with a touchdown on short field so that's 14 and then we have a best quarter in the third quarter we had another great drive where dylan morris made a couple of really nice throws on third down we were controlling possession controlling the line of scrimmage running the ball well we drive all the way down to like the 10 yard line and can't punch it in and we come away with no points because peyton henry pushed the kick and so now you're sitting there at we basically we left 10 points on the board and we gifted them or sorry we left three points on the board and we gifted them 14
0: yeah Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, you hear coaches talk about this all the time that football is a three-phases game and special teams is part of that, you know. And we dominated pretty much in every facet of the game, especially if you look down the stat lines. I mean, you're looking at total yards, 408 to 252. Rush yards, 267 to 167. Still would not like that to be quite that high. Time of possession, we held the ball for – nearly 37 minutes of the game compared to Oregon State's 23. Um, we had we had a turnover, two turnovers? Yeah, two we turnovers two. Te- technically with the last-minute interception um, as well as the, the turnover on downs too. Um, we were more effective in third-down situations and fourth-down situations. We were eight of 16 in third downs, two of two in fourth downs, 75 plays to Oregon State's 58 I mean we dominated literally every statistical facet of this game if you're looking at team stats, besides special teams, and for it to end up in a 27 to 21 game just shows how much special teams can actually mean in a certain ball in a certain game. I'm sure Dick Baird would be very proud of us talking about this right now. <laughs> because Dick Baird is a big special teams guy. We got to win the kicking game, he always says. We got to cover well, all that stuff. So
1: it shout, almost out co-
0: yeah. shout out to Dick Baird.
1: It almost cost us this game, that's for sure.
0: It definitely did. So glad that we were able to hopefully learn from that in a, in a victory. It's always easier to learn this stuff in victories than it is in losses, as far as from a fan perspective, at least. So um, do you have any other kind of like general thoughts and feelings from like Jimmy's press conference on Monday? I mean, I know that he was pretty fired up about how Dylan Morris played. Um, I think, again, the stats don't really tell the whole story on how indicative of his play was. Um, And I know that the other thing that he stressed was just the whole overcoming adversity. Jimmy is a positive guy in general, and he likes to really find the bright spots in games and stress those, especially to his players, but also to the media. Um, but I think, I think the whole overcoming adversity was it's, that's a legit thing. I mean, like, yeah. literally you find yourself in a seven zero hole right off the bat on a super fluky botched play that, is you have a young freshman long snapper. And I mean, it's, it's kind of adversity for an individual as well as the team, because that individual and in Jaden green ends up coming back after that and having a solid game. He had another high snap, but no real mistakes after that. Right. And then the team responded well, again, like I said, came right back and scored a touchdown and really again, dominated the game outside of, outside of, uh, special teams and coverage being one of them. And then also, um, Peyton, Peyton Henry's missed field goal.
1: Yeah. I think going back to a couple of my takeaways from Jimmy's press conference is, you know, I think there's a convenient argument to be made that he's really similar to Chris Peterson in a lot of ways, which he is. Yeah. I mean, Chris Peterson, you know, I think Jimmy Lake calls it Chris Peterson's secret sauce and he shared the recipe and Jimmy Lake is gonna stick to the recipe. While all of that's good and true, Jimmy Lake is not Chris Peterson and that has never been more evident than in this press conference. First of all, he walks in with a hat, it's a white hat and printed on the top of the hat it says run the damn ball. Chris Peterson's not wearing that hat to a freaking press conference. I guarantee you that. So sure. Jimmy Lake, like we've been saying in our, you know, preseason episodes that we put out, I think he's going to run the program in a very similar way and similar style as Peterson. Again, like he'll stick to the recipe of the secret sauce, but he has an edge and a aggression and just a, a youthfulness to him in some regards that, Peterson didn't and I think that's kind of fun and the players are gonna rally behind that you know he's obviously coming out with this run the damn ball hat is you know kind of a a a way to break the ice so to speak at his press conference because we did run the ball like 70 percent of the time and I'm sure he was anticipating the media asking like well are we gonna throw the ball at all like what does that mean for recruits and blah 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 And so he had fun with that. And then I think the other thing that is different between how Chris Peterson has handled these press conferences in the past is Peterson always found a way to not answer a question when it is critical of him or a – not necessarily him, but if a reporter asked a question that was – poking or prodding at a decision made by someone else on Chris Peterson's coaching staff. He would always answer very protective of that person and work his way around the question without really answering anything. And in Jimmy Lake's first post game press conference, you know, to Connor's point earlier, when you were talking about that drive where we responded to the blocked punt, and drove down the field. You called out Sean McGrew looked great on that play. Well, he only ended up with nine carries, but ran for 91 yards and a touchdown. Yep. So a reporter was like, Hey, what the hell? Like, why didn't he get more of our 51 team carries? Why did he only get nine?
0: We were and... wondering that too, Sam. Like whenever we were in our, our post game podcast, we, we were like, I don't know if Sean McGrew was injured at the end of the game or not, but we didn't see him really at all in the second half so, right? And, and so i yeah. think
1: that's that's one of those things where you know in the past chris peterson like it, it's kind of implying that keith banaha banaha banafa i forget how to pronounce his name our running backs coach rotate a lot of that rotation of who gets carries and when is up to him peterson would normally kind of like shrug that off and I know I'm I'm beating, I'm I'm taking this point probably a little bit too far on a tangent, but I think it's an important one because it's really telling on who Jimmy Lake is as a coach, is he ate crow on the stand in front of everyone and said, Yeah, I mean, we messed up, we should have got Sean Gru, Sean McGrew the ball earlier, you know, more often, especially in the second half of the game. He was the hot hand. And like right. looking back on things, I would have done something different. And I think there's a level of humility that's a little bit refreshing from my perspective to yeah you know it's kind of an obvious one so like just own up to it
0: <laughs> yeah for sure i agree um let's just touch briefly on the fourth and one the pack 12 released a statement on the yeah. fourth and one um i don't have it up in front of me but essentially what happened i guess was that they didn't have a indisputable evidence based on camera angles that the that that they could overturn that call of of a turnover on downs in the Huskies' favor. Um, sure, definitely looked like it. I mean, from initial live feed that Jamar Jefferson certainly converted that fourth down and the beavers should have had a first and goal, but I mean, they definitely didn't have the camera angle and it sounded like there was some, some issues with cameras and they didn't have all the camera angles that they typically have on a normal, normal PAC 12 broadcast. Um, And the refs didn't have, didn't have access to those cameras. So you can yell at the PAC 12 for that, for sure. I get it. It's obviously, not a good look for the PAC 12 to come out with a statement that says they basically didn't have the necessary resources to make a good judgment call on, on but, something. Uh, but again, on, this is, real quick. this is, this is football. So go ahead.
1: Well, I'll also note that we, while we don't have the, the necessary resources on the field in terms of cameras and camera men slash women, Larry Scott got a nice bonus right before the season started. So once again, it, I'm going to make it go viral, people. Hashtag Fire Larry Scott.
0: No doubt. Yeah, he made some weird – this is totally off topic, but he made some weird deal this this week too with like some weird streaming networks that no one has – that they'll be able to like exclusive rights to like replay games and stuff like that on those streaming networks that like, it's like, it's, it's streaming networks. I had never even heard of.
1: I don't know what he's doing. Like not only are there streaming networks that nobody's ever heard of, they're not even rights to the live game.
0: No, they're replays.
1: Like, it's the most obscure yeah contract. And he's like toting it around like some massive achievement.
0: That guy Honestly. likes to pat himself on the back more than anyone else, and he bats himself on the back for fucking bullshit. So
1: I mean, it means nothing to me. Like, go to YouTube and type in Huskies versus OSU. You got yourself a fucking replay.
0: Like, YouTube took the game down. I don't know if you saw that.
1: They'll find that.
0: There's they'll a bunch put it of, back up. Yeah, I mean they. Yeah,
1: basically, what the Husky Archive starts doing once they get taken down, then that person will upload like a Google Drive link so you can mm-hmm. download it. Right. There's always ways around the system. In other words, I don't need to not go to like these system. three weird ass streaming channels to watch a replay. <laughs> Especially when you For can sure. watch I know I'm not on, doing that. On pack twelve network.com or whatever. Pac12.com has them all screw also. that, I, dude. Larry Scott's a dumbass. He needs yeah. to go in a bet ba- in a bad way.
0: We'll probably Anyways, talk about it basically every episode
1: where were we i don't even remember
0: we were talking about the controversial call so anyway i think there's probably a very like a more legitimate argument on the side that he probably got he probably converted the first down that being said you can't say that like the beavers win the game because of that i mean there was 14 minutes left in the game after that so Get over it, people. If that's like driving you nuts, if you're a Koog fan right now and you're all salty because oh. the Huskies won in controversial fashion. I mean suck it. Cause listen like
1: Don't leave it in the hands of the referees. Like no. you had third and one, you had fourth and one. Gain two yards. Like that's the yeah. harsh way to put it.
0: Yeah, don't but- gain a yard and a half, gain two yards so that you can actually get a first down. <laughs> On yeah. more than one. <laughs> I mean,
1: take care of it. Take it out of the referee's hands. It's true. I mean, they had every opportunity to, you know, gain the first down and score a touchdown. And I mean, whether that was a first down or not, it was a shitty run. Like we played really good defense on the play.
0: Yep. So, I mean, the, the, and the defense, the, as much, as much shit as we gave the run defense on Saturday a lot of that was in the first half, especially towards the end of the first half. Second half, you saw two really long drives from both offenses, and it took up like the entire third quarter, I think.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. Uh,
0: so, I mean, you can take that for what you want, but like those are just two really long drives. And then for the most part in the fourth quarter, the defense stepped up like they, they, they stopped the run a little bit more consistently. They were still having success and probably too much success, but I really do amount this a lot to like us playing in our first game. There's some rust, there's some assignment issues. There's some gap integrity issues. There's new players on the field that probably have some containment issues. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's just a lot of factors at work and you listen to a lot of the, a lot of the experts. And I know that Sam, you talked about how we probably have the advantage going into the last game with us having tape on Oregon state, like that's the main advantage that we had by having not having played yet and them having no tape on us. But as far as like the fundamentals of football and playing well, Oregon state definitely had the advantage for that because they, they they had a game under their belt. They obviously had already kind of knocked off those cobwebs and rust. And it was pretty evident that, In a couple facets of our game, mostly with the run defense and then also in kickoff coverage that there were some major just assignment issues that look to be kind of first game rust slash jitters. At least that's what I'm hoping.
1: Yeah, no, I think I I totally agree. And looking back at our preview episode, I'm happy to eat crow on that. I I think we got that one wrong. I think the advantage of, you know, to use your analogy, knocking off the cobwebs on the Oregon State side. I mean, clearly, I think, was more of an advantage at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. even just look at the way their linebackers played. They were so aggressive and attacking. Just had a level of confidence that we didn't.
0: Right. And look at, as far as, us gaining an advantage by us having Oregon state's tape. Like we didn't really do anything with that. I felt like, like we've, we, we played a very predictable game plan. A lot of, I think, I think a lot of that was contingent, not only on weather, weather was a big factor. I think it was a very wet, yeah, wet night out there. Windy, very windy. So keeping the ball on the ground was, I mean, that favored both teams because both teams are running, running teams as far as offenses go, but, and then also having a, a redshirt freshman quarterback starting his first collegiate game was also a big factor in the play calling. I mean, we, we ran 51 times and passed 24. So that was definitely some disparity. And I talked Saturday night about how that didn't really surprise me. And if it didn't surprise me, it certainly probably didn't surprise Oregon state. They knew what the weather was going to be. Like it was forecasted for a week that it was going to rain that night. They knew that no matter who our starter was at quarterback, it was going to be their first time starting in a Husky uniform on a division one level. And um, we were playing to our strengths. Like, I mean, we had, we had the size advantage. We were going to try to run the ball and pound the rock and dominate the line of scrimmage. Like I think, I think whatever Oregon State's advantage was going into the game or sorry our advantage was going into the game by having Oregon State's tape we didn't really do anything with it as far as like actually gaining an advantage from that.
1: Yeah, and I think to that point too the the advantage that we may have had from tape, you know, we had tape on them, they had no tape on us basically is useless on the second half, you know, mm-hmm. like those coaches on the other sideline are able to go and right halftime you know, adjustments, dissect the first half, get a sense of what we're doing. They're doing that even in the first half, but yeah, really at halftime, they're able to dive deep and for sure get they together get, they get, and make their yeah. adjustments. And so, you know, would have liked to have seen us be able to strike quicker out of the gates. And obviously, our first drive was horrendous, but. Mm-hmm. I felt like our second drive was really strong. And then from there, it seems like that advantage of Oregon state trying to feel out what we were going to do more or less kind of trickled, trickled
0: out. Yeah, for sure. So I think let's go ahead and kind of start to wrap on our final thoughts on. on, on the Oregon state game. We'll touch on it kind of as we get into our preview of, of the Arizona, Arizona game this coming Saturday, we'll touch yeah. on some things that we saw in the Oregon state game that we want to either continue or obviously not continue to see in, in the Arizona game. Um, but I do want to wrap it up on what do you think was the, your play of the game series of the game sequence of the game drive of the game, Sam, like whatever you want to shout out, as far as kind of like your big playmaking Series of the game, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go with the last drive. Oregon State's last drive of the game, where we were up by, yeah, the score was 27 21 at that point. Yep, we were up by yeah. six. Yep. Yep. And Oregon State got the ball back with probably, I don't know if the top of my head, Somewhere between one to three minutes left on the clock.
0: Uh, yeah, it was less than two minutes.
1: Yeah. And I think they got a quick first down. And okay. then after that first down, it was the Eddie Ulofosio show. For sure. He had,
0: I Give think, Give him love. On man.
1: Praise second, him. Get him up. Yeah. He had a hell of a game. He had 10 tackles, nine solo, four pass deflections, two of which... For sure happened on the final drive. I think maybe even a third one got counted, but it really wasn't a deflection. But on second down, he made a great pass deflection diving in front of a receiver. Nearly picked it off. For what would have been a first down, he almost picked it off. But anyways, gets, gets, you know, reads the quarterback's eyes really well, kind of feels the route behind him, drifts into the passing lane and knocks down a pass. On second down, on third down, he'd does the same thing again and then on their fourth down play that ended in the ASA turner interception that sealed the game eddie was kind of on a blitz slash qb spy he was kind of on a yeah tentative casual rush so he engaged with the lineman he didn't beat the lineman right off the bat one-on-one so he kind of took a step back and assessed where that passing lane was going to be. And he took a few steps over to his left to get into the passing lane and jumped up to block the pass. Fortunately, the pass never even made it to Eddie because Jebby had doinked it right off his right tackle's helmet, (laughs) went straight up in the air, like 30 feet in the air, and Asa Turner came down with it. So I think you were starting to allude to this a little bit where our defense really did come on strong towards the end of the game particularly in the fourth quarter and the best football they played all game was on their last defensive stand in that series where Eddie just totally wreaked havoc on everything Oregon State was trying to do I mean he really won the game for us on that final three to four play stretch and so for me, you know, it was a close game through and through. I never felt comfortable that we were going to win, while I did feel like we were in control of a lot. But yeah. to come down and have game, I think that's why it was game, so frustrating. Yeah, the for game sure the like, most like frustrating. Yeah,
0: it felt it felt like we were controlling the game, especially when it came to a time time possession and yards, you know, factor and statistical line, but Obviously, the scoreline was not reading in that way. So
1: no, exactly. I mean, nothing epitomized that frustration more so than how our offensive possession right before the series I'm talking about ended. We had a really nice drive. We're chewing up clock. We're up by four points, and or three points. Three points. What was it? Twenty-four, twenty-one.
0: Yeah, it uh, was 24-21. Yeah, it was 24-21 up until our, our last possession of the game.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. My frustration is we have this great drive, get all the way down to like their, inside their 10-yard line, would love to score a touchdown and make it a right. two-score game. For sure. We have to settle for a field goal. And I remember looking over to my dad, who I was watching the game with and going like, shit, knowing the way that this game is gone, they're going to get the ball, drive down, score a touchdown and win by a point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so to have that super low of the game for me that was maybe outside of the botched punt the lowest low was having to settle for a field goal and not icing the game to then have our defense come out and stand up the way that they that they did get the ball back and then basically go into victory formation and need the ball to win to me that was like my series of the game, without a doubt. I know you likely have a different one. Well, you certainly value that drive the same way that I do. Yeah, I think there's for sure. other drives and series that are worthy calling out.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my my, I mean, my play and series of the game would be, or sequence of the game, I should say, would be the ZTF strip sack in, I think that was towards the end of the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And that ended up setting up our second touchdown of the game. We went up seventeen to seven. Might have been second quarter. I should look at that. I
1: think it was. I think it bridged right between the quarters. I think the strip sack happened towards the yep. end of
0: yep, first quarter. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and then yeah, that was Kamari's Kamari's fifteen yard touchdown run that ended up, um, ended up putting it up, putting us up seventeen to seven. I would have really liked us to like. Really take, I thought that that was kind of the moment that we were really going to take control of that game. Like I remember thinking that when that happened and it just felt that way. Um, so, I mean, that was, that, that's still my play of the game just because that put us up two scores. And I think that kind of really made the difference as far as the back and forthness of a lot of the rest of the game, as far as right. a lot of us sharing like really long, extended drives that sometimes amounted to points, sometimes didn't. Um, but that—that's kind of the—the the drive I think that gave us kind of the upper hand and advantage throughout the rest of the game. So, again, would have liked to us to kind of stomp on their throats at that point and really start to turn it on before the end of the first half, be up you know two or three scores going into halftime. Didn't happen, and I think it's a it's a learning it's a learning moment for a lot of the young players and especially this defense and. Jimmy Lake as a head coach, and I think they all embrace that, which is the great thing. They, they embrace adversity, and they, they look at that as a teaching and a learning moment. Again, it's great that it's in a win rather than a loss, and hopefully they correct some of the mistakes that they made, and next time they're in that situation, they really are able to stomp on the opponent's throats because that could have come back to haunt them later in the game.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just to sum up some of my leftover thoughts from the OSU game, that is what stood out to me as well. I remember thinking and feeling the same way that you did when Kamari Pleasant put us up 17-7. Oregon State ended up you know, putting together a very methodical drive to end the second quarter and go into half with a touchdown and then actually get the ball back. Fortunately, we were able to force them into a punt coming out of Right the, the halftime, but during that final drive where Oregon State just seemed to just physically impose their will on our team, there were a couple of things that, on a second look, stood out to me, and that wasn't our typical defensive lineup that we had out there. It was a very experimental yep. lineup. Yep. I think some of it obviously went really poorly, but there was also some interesting things that I picked up on that might be really promising for the future quickly just summing those up i think the bad was we had a redshirt freshman but to in at defensive line with josiah bronson and he was just he just looked overmatched he was getting blown off the ball you know ending the play five seven yards down the field being blocked i think we were talking off mike earlier He's been dealing with a little bit of a pectoral injury that I, in hindsight, as 2020, wish they would have just elected the surgery route and got it fixed up. They've chosen to do rehab, and I don't think that he's been able to engage in and participate in the lifting program in the offseason. Just doesn't seem to have the, the necessary strength to be someone we can rely upon in terms of being a stalwart. Savell so Smalls looked really good at times in pass rushing situations, looked god-awful on that drive in running situations, totally gave up the edge and Jamar Jefferson had a couple of big runs to his side and then Jackson Sermon just looked like he was playing like he was a chicken with his head cut off, like running the wrong way, mm-hmm. you know, getting blocked, having really, really hard time getting off blocks and making a play. So those are kind of like, the bad takeaways from that drive that we actually did get cleaned up in the second half. Part of that was personnel. We saw Sam Taimani play a lot more. He played really strong down the stretch and then the redshirt freshman along the D line that really stood his own was Jacob Bandes. I think he's going to ultimately take over that spot that Tui Tele has on the depth chart moving forward. And then Alfonso Tupatala, filled in for sermon really well i actually liked what i saw from him quite a bit more than what i saw from sermon alfonso tupatala he has a physical nature to his game plays a little bit more with you know reckless abandonment and it's got more spark to him yeah he's going to make mistakes but he's going to try to make plays and he's going to win some and lose some but He's not going to get blocked 10 yards down the field. I promise you that. Um, and then my last thought, that my, my sneak peek preview to maybe our DB lineup of the future games this season was we brought Kyler Gordon in, who Connor and I have both been talking about, is like the odd man out for this defensive
0: backfield. And he played pretty well in this game too.
1: He played really well. He almost had an interception on that drive on the sideline where he read the route better than the receiver did. Um, But he came in and started at outside corner opposite of Keith Taylor. We moved Matt McDuffie to the nickel spot, which bumped Elijah Molden to safety. And I think that Connor and I both agree, that gives you your best five defensive backs on the field at the same time whether or not that's our ideal alignment of those five, maybe not, but it was promising to me to see them at least experiment and try to get those five on the field at the same time. And I would like to see those five play together. I think they're our best combination of players back there, but we'll see how that shakes out. I just thought it was like, you know, a little tidbit that I caught at the end of the second half that was interesting at least.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think we, I mean, granted that Oregon State did not put the ball in the air very often. We didn't see a lot from Alex Cook in this game. Right. And I think, I think he's on a short leash, is my guess, just because that he's not an experienced starter or anything. And there's definitely talent behind him that they want to see on the field that being you know a Kyler Gordon a Julius Irvin, like all these guys have a lot of talent and are high recruits that want to see the field you know but Jimmy Jimmy's the type of guy that he's going to put the the players on the field that practice the hardest and hope that they show the same on game day I can't say that Alex Cook really showed that in this first game Um, pretty quiet pretty quiet night from him I didn't he didn't really stand out on any particular play to me. Um, So I'd like to hopefully see more from him from the Arizona game that's coming up here. And we'll segue to that in a second, but um, if not, I'd like to see them exercise that short leash and possibly give some of these other guys a chance. And Kyler's one of those guys that I think could thrive in not only a safety role, but like, he's just too good of a player and too athletic to not have on the field In some of those crucial moments, they, they seem to show that. And I like that that from the coaching staff that they trusted him to be on the field and especially towards the end of the game. So.
1: Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I, Alex cook, to your point, the jury's still out on that one. He was asked to play deep safety the entire game. And to your point, Oregon state wasn't really testing us down the field. And as a really nice segue to our preview of Arizona we have reason to believe that that will likely change, and that yeah. Alex Cook playing the deep deep zone of the of the field will likely see action at this coming weekend. We should and, learn a lot
0: about him this week.
1: Yeah, we should be able to see him make some plays or show that, like, hey, he might be a practice guy that doesn't really translate to the games on Saturday. And let's try somebody else in there. So. It'll be interesting. I think there's a lot to learn moving from, you know, run heavy offense from Oregon state, Arizona's a little bit more balanced, but likely leans more passing than for sure, more so than what we saw from Oregon state. So we'll be able to learn a bit more this weekend for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, Let's touch a little bit on the depth chart for Arizona that came out yesterday and not much different the only two notable things the first one being that dylan morris is the starter and that would seem obvious at this point i guess that he he played the full game on saturday and seems like he kind of elevated himself above the rest of the competition in that quarterback room and like sam and i said i i don't think the stat sheet shows how well he played on saturday and I think Jimmy Lake noted a couple of key stat- statistical lines from Dylan Morris that he converted 50% of his third downs. And many of those were through the air and the two fourth downs that they converted were, I think both him sneaking the ball. So he shows a little bit of moxie and some toughness that he's not afraid to get behind alignment and get that one or two yards, the tough yards that, you know, sometimes determine ball games. So yeah, that's scored great to a touchdown.
1: See. Scored a touchdown doing exactly that.
0: Exactly. So it's really good to see that kind of moxie and just playmaking ability from from a red shirt freshman and a young player and to see that confidence. And you know, I think I think honestly the sky's the limit for for Dylan Morris. I, I don't think he has the arm strength to take the top off of a defense probably but he's got adequate arm strength that you could definitely throw a few deep balls in there, especially off of play action. I think that's something that again, we'll talk about in a little bit here that we hope to see probably in this Arizona game. Um, So that's one of the things that, that came out in this, in this initial depth chart. And the only other real change that we saw was that Roman Dunze has officially unseated Austin Osborne as the backup to Terrell Bynum at this point. So they're listing him kind of almost in that slot receiver role, which is interesting. I think Sam and I have both talked about that. I think we see him probably long term being more of an more of a wide out, more of an outside receiver, just because he's got the size for it. And probably Jalen McMillan being maybe maybe more of that quick twitch slot receiver guy. And I think to that point, Sam and I were also talking off mic about the end arounds in this game and how we thought that Terrell Bynum was extremely successful in those. And we saw one end around to Jalen McMillan that looked really good. And then the Roman Dunze one, I don't think we can really make a full conclusion on because the play got completely blown up in the backfield. There was a miss blocking assignment on that play. Um, But obviously that went for negative six yards. So whether or not that was like a, a, you know, a line error or maybe getting too cute with the offensive play calling at that situation in the game. Fact of the matter is that I I would say that Jalen McMillan probably fulfills that role a little bit better than Roman Dunze, at least initially right now.
1: So Yeah, no, I'd agree on the Romo Dunze one. I think that's a little bit of a play calling gaffe. We ran the same end around two plays earlier with Terrell Bynum. That was a successful play.
0: Very successful.
1: Two plays later, we try to run the same thing going the other way with Romo Dunze, and it gets blown up. The one thing that I will add on Jalen McMillan's end around was that should have been a damn touchdown.
0: Probably should have been. Yeah, you're right. So
1: if you watch that play, Henry Bynavalu, our right guard, is pulling, and he's out in front of Jalen McMillan, and there's – Everyone is covered at this point except one person, so it's one versus two. We have Jalen McMillan and Henry Bainavalu, and then I think it was a linebacker for OSU, and as Bainavalu was making his way around the end of the left side of the line, kind of bumped into Jackson Kirkland and kind of bumped, bumped Kirkland off of his guy, and that defender was able to kind of sneak up and catch Jalen McMillan, but if we block that cleanly, if Banevalu gets around that corner clean, that's six points for sure.
0: And we, I mean, you talked about it right off the head um, in earlier episodes, Sam, that Jalen McMillan's a home run threat. Like, oh yeah, and obviously not just as a receiver, as a runner too. If they're going to incorporate this end around which we saw quite a bit of i mean we saw five i think five end arounds in this game um four or five i guess um and so that's obviously going to be a big part of this this rushing uh, rushing attack as well is getting some of these receivers involved in the running game so it's it it, i would like to see Jalen mcmillan get the ball more in his hands because he's obviously a playmaker and he can make some guys miss and as like we've alluded to, a home run threat once once he gets in some open space. So those are the only two depth chart changes from this last week um, going into this Arizona game. So not much else to touch on. I will say that, again, Tule and uh, Leatu Latu are – both listed as starters again, both of them were in street clothes on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see if their injuries were just kind of minor or if they're going to linger throughout the season. And we're going to still see Sam Taimani start in that Thule spot. And um, uh, ZTF get, get run in Layatu Latu's spot. Um, ZTF obviously showed, showed us some pretty, pretty good shit in that first game so (laughs) i wouldn't i wouldn't be all that all that disappointed to to see him start again on on saturday Um, and
1: i have some more
0: yeah but but again i mean leatu latu offers something else as well and he's obviously a little bit a little bit more experienced as far as just play time he got a little bit more playing time last year than ztf did but ztf if he's able to especially against an Arizona offense, it's going to, they're going to throw the ball around a little bit. So he's going to have some opportunities. He
1: looked like the real deal.
0: Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what that amounts to. He's definitely an art of the strip sack. We have learned that, that he's, he's going for that ball in the quarterback's hand. And maybe that was just a Jebbia thing that he had caught on some film that maybe he holds the ball a little bit low whenever he's winding up, but Definitely a ball hunter, and I like to see that from a defensive end. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Cliff Averill. So.
1: That's what I was just going to say. I think yeah. he must have been working this offseason with Cliff Averill over Probably. at Ford Sports Performance.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he was.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And look, his ETF is – he's a long-levered guy. He's got long arms, and I was really pleasantly surprised with the impact that he was able to – have on a game where you know the opposing team only passed you passed the ball 24 times and he was in there a bunch and two sacks two forced fumbles we recovered one of them needless to say he's going to be double he's going to see his fair share of double teams next week
0: <laughs> yeah which should free up some other other guys for some opportunities so hopefully we can take advantage of that whether or not he's actually getting into the backfield and making an impact if he's He's getting double teamed, then that should free up some other players. So that's that's a good thing as well. Sam, let's talk about this Arizona team a little bit. So obviously, also a victim of the COVID situation. Their first game was canceled against Utah in our week one. I think it was week 10 technically of the college football season. Yep. So they had their first game this last week as well against USC, 20th ranked in the nation, USC coming in and you know put up a pretty good fight against them a usc team that i think and sammy probably echo the same feelings is probably overranked for what they are obviously have some good talent but their coaching is very suspect nonetheless arizona put up a really good fight against them and you know took them blow for blow and i saw some interesting things in this game that we'll we'll touch on here and we'll start listing out some players here in a second but um I just didn't know if you had a general feel for Arizona as far as what we should look for in this game and style of style of play that they they like to play Kevin Sumlin's a a seasoned coach in college football has had some success at some other programs previously and is trying to turn out turn around this Arizona team that you know kind of underperformed last year with a quote-unquote Heisman contender and Khalil Tate yeah. that ended up really amounting to nothing. Um, obviously, I have a new quarterback this year, but they're trying to kind of rebound off of a underperforming year.
1: Yeah, I would say in general, my, my main takeaways are I think Kevin Sumlin has really struggled in Tucson since he's been there. Those Arizona teams have been kind of sloppy, haven't seemed to be very well coached. And the way that I would... I would summarize Arizona is they're the exact opposite of Oregon state in the sense that Oregon state is physically underwhelming. They're small. They're not very tall and long. They don't have a lot of stature along the French lines, but they're a well-coached team like Jonathan Smith has in that coaching staff. I think they're getting the highest potential out of their players that they can, I can't say the same for Arizona. I don't think that, you know, for almost as long as I can remember, I think Arizona in particular has been one of the more underachieving teams. And I would, I will throw Arizona state in there as well for the point that I'm about to make, which is, I think Arizona teams benefit with their proximity to both Texas and Southern California one of the things that you're going to notice immediately this weekend is Arizona is a big, physically intimidating looking team. Now, whether or not they're going to
0: definitely bigger than Oregon state
1: for sure, whether or not they're going to play with nastiness and aggression and really play as big as they look, that remains to be seen, but at the end of the day, and we've seen this, like we've struggled against the Arizona teams, particularly in the desert. Yeah. And a large part of that is they're a very physically talented team. You're going to have big, strong, fast, long athletes that we're going to be competing against this weekend. And while I don't think that they're as crisply coached as a team, like an Oregon state, they are going to be a different monster in terms of the kind of athletes that will be competing one-on-one in some of these position battles with and I know Connor we're going to dive into some of the you know spotlight players on the Arizona side of things but that's my main takeaway is you know I think they've underachieved for the talent that they have on their roster and if they can kind of get things to line up and click in any given game they have the talent and they're a tough out I mean we saw it I I think I feel similarly to you that USC might be slightly overrated in terms of their national rank of number 20, but in the same breath, USC is always going to be a star studded lineup. They've got, they've got guys that can play and Arizona state looked like they belonged in that game with USC Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. sorry, Arizona um, looked like they belonged in that game with USC ended up being 34 to 30 i believe so
0: yep
1: it just kind of feels like an inconsistent team a little bit i think they're they have the talent to be in the game with anyone but if you hit them in the mouth out of the gate and put them away early i don't know that they're coached well enough to to come back
0: yeah and i think this is a this is a team that historically we've had success against but in recent years it's been a kind of flip of the coin matchup i think we've won like 6 of the last 10 meetings against arizona so it's definitely a team that we've we've had our fair struggles with and a, like sam alluded to especially down at their place down in tucson um, we are coming off a pretty vi- big victory last year albeit with again kind of a completely different team than what we're looking at right now Um, but it was one of our better games last year down in Arizona. Um, especially the second half, that was probably if not one of our best halves of football. Um, and I think we ended up winning like 50 something to four seventeen or something like that. Let me see. What was the score last year? 51 to
1: 27.
0: Yeah. 51 to 27. So, and it was like a, yeah, it was a, what is that? Seventeen to thirteen game. We were down at halftime, so we obviously turned it on in the second half. Uh, Arizona only scored ten points, and we went on to score what's fifty-one minus thirteen, real quick, 30... eight? Yeah, I'm thirty-eight. Yeah, thirty-eight. Doing the math. I've had 38 points. Risky
1: to do mental math. Yeah, thirty-eight <laughs> points.
0: So thirty-eight to ten in the second half, and again, one of our more dominant halves of twenty nineteen saw Jacob Eason, and this is one of the games that Puka Nakua really showed out in last year, so yep, hopefully he can maybe replicate that performance and even build upon it. Um, and the running game was amazing last year in this game, especially in the second half, and we saw a lot of it come from Sean McGrew right. last year. He had 13 carries for 106 yards in this game last year, so um, hopefully he's someone that we can lean on. Obviously he was someone that stood out in the first game against Oregon state, maybe didn't get the opportunities that he deserved, especially in the second half. Um, so someone that I, I hope can spark this offense. He's, he's just, he's a guy that you want to get into space and if he can get into space, he can make stuff happen. Um, so, and he's, he's, he's just smart with the ball. He's an experienced player. So obviously been kind of a, uh, Mainstay of this running back group for about three years now. So, um, all right, let's talk a little bit about these Arizona players, unless you had anything else to touch on before then.
1: No, I think um, let's dive into what we are expecting to see from the Wildcats this weekend.
0: Yeah. So, on the offensive side of the ball for them and our defensive side, obviously, you saw us struggle against a very good running back and Jamar Jefferson and a solid running game in Oregon state last week. Cleaned it up a little bit later in the game, but definitely something. I mean, we gave 167 yards and uh, I don't think you want to see that every week. Um, and Arizona has another tough runner and Gary Brightwell backed up JJ Taylor last year, who is a very talented running back as well um he's onto greener pastures now but Gary Brightwell is uh a senior running back 6'1 218 pretty big guy not not only that though he can he can move like he's got some major explosion uh right out of the gate and he can make some guys miss in the backfield i know that he took like a short someone that they like to use in the passing game too. He took a short pass from their uh, quarterback, Grant Gunnell that we'll talk about in a second um, on a third and 15 earlier in that game. On a, I think it was ended up being a scoring drive. It was a third and 15 took like a short pass. He was the outlet out on the, out in the right flat, made two guys miss in the backfield, got upfield. Like his acceleration is ex- impressive. Like he got upfield quick. zero
1: to 60 in a hurry
0: yeah and and ran through two guys to get that first down so definitely someone that's going to be tough to tackle and we need to be really disciplined and i think it all starts with making sure that we bottle him up before we even get to their passing game they're obviously going to they're obviously going to throw the ball no matter what throw the ball more than oregon state did like they just have a more prolific offense in that way but if we can't stop this Gary Brightwell kid, then we're in for for a rough day. He he ended up going for twenty one. He went, ended up going twenty one rushes for one hundred and twelve yards, and he also had three receptions for twenty yards. Like I said, he's 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 a good outlet for for their quarterback in the passing game. Um, so definitely someone to keep your eyes on. Uh, he'll he'll stand out. He's got some dreads, um, and definitely is an explosive player. So someone that the the Huskies need to need to stop if they're going to have some success on the defensive end in this first game. Um, Sam, do you want to talk a little bit about their their quarterback and Grant Canell?
1: Yeah, for sure. So he's a sophomore, really big guy. He's got the prototypical NFL pro quarterback stature at 6'6, 228 pounds. And he's fairly athletic at that size as well I mean he's no Jacob Eason in the the sense that he showed against a really athletic USC defense that he can get out there and pick up some tough yards when he needs to on a third and short and so we'll have to keep our eye out for that and yeah
0: it was interesting to see that part of his game because we didn't see that at all from him last year and like the few spot starts that he got when Khalil Tate was injured right I think did he did he ended up maybe even starting our game? He might have played that game.
1: I think he did.
0: So um, I'll go back and look at that in a second. But anyway, like it. Aside from the fact, like we didn't see him really take off at all last year, and he definitely wasn't afraid to do that. He was against It USC. Seemed
1: like he was looking for the run on yeah. a couple of plays, whether they were and designed, he looked decent KD doing KD it. Runs. Yeah, I mean he's not electric with his legs, but he no. will. I mean, I would say Dylan Morris has better has better legs than this guy does, but it's just
0: a little quicker. But, but he's he's kind of a long strider, just like kind of a lanky dude that a little yeah. awkward looking, but like he he gets the job done in that in that facet. And at game, six so.
1: six two two thirty, basically, he's he's a tough tackle as well. So yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. I know in the USC game, he had forty rushing yards, which isn't anything to write home about but more than anything was the timing of those 40 yards were pivotal points in the game on third and shorts able to pick up the necessary yards to extend the drive and get that first down so we want to keep an eye on that Um, he also he's he's got a pretty solid arm to be honest I mean Mm -hmm. last week he went 24 for 36, 286 yards, three touchdowns, one interceptions. And to Connor's point, they're going to throw the ball. That's just part of Arizona's offensive scheme, which I'm honestly looking forward to because coming into the season and throughout our preview podcast, one of the areas of our team that we were most excited about was our defensive backfield that we've even touched on in this episode, in terms of where does Kyler Gordon fit in? Where does Julius Irvin fit in? How about Cam Williams? Does Alex Cook hold on to his position? We are loaded in the defensive backfield. Yeah. And as a fan, I almost feel robbed from the Oregon State game in the <laughs> sense that we didn't really get to see them make an impact because they, Oregon State Beavers didn't pass the ball. Right. That's going to change this weekend, and we're really going to find out if all of that talent really produces come Saturday.
0: No doubt. And some of those guys that Grant Gannell is going to be targeting, um, they got three pretty solid wide receivers, two of them especially. Um, their, their leading returning receiver is Jamari jo- Joyner, a uh, pretty highly recruited kid out of the Tucson area. He's a redshirt sophomore this year and had uh, over 500 yards receiving last year and five touchdowns and this last game against USC only had a couple receptions it sounded like USC did a pretty good job of um, covering him and keeping him kind of in check so I'm hoping that UW's able to do the same thing that being said he did have one reception for a touchdown I think it was like a 35 yard touchdown um, I think it was their first touchdown of the game got loose on kind of a crossing route and kind of in DK Metcalf style, got by a couple guys and went down the sideline for a touchdown. So a bigger guy, 6'1", 214, um, and definitely has some explosive nature to him. So I look for probably either Elijah Molden or Keith Taylor to hopefully body him up near the line of scrimmage. They list him as a slot receiver, so that would scream Elijah Molden to me. Um, But the matchup of him being a bigger receiver would also scream that maybe Keith Taylor possibly gets some chances against him as well, being a bigger cornerback. Um, their explosive guy really on offense, though, is their wide rec- their senior wide receiver, number 11, Tavion Cunningham. And he is an electric jitterbug. Um, really, really quick, 5'10", 174. So again, a smaller stature. But he really posed some problems for USC. He had five receptions for 110 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown was a 75 yard touchdown over the top, beat a safety over the top and outran him to the end zone. Also was a pretty pretty good outlet for Grant Gannell in some third down situations. I think he had a couple third down conversions in those in those five receptions as well and a guy that you look for making some plays after the catch. So they're going to try to get him the ball in space and let him kind of do his thing with some blockers in front. So we really need to be mindful of that and cover him well and just be aware of him on the field because he's a playmaker and definitely someone that you know probably won't have that big of a game every game, but he's capable of that. So you do have to be aware of him on the field.
1: Yeah, his yards after the catch is what to look for. He really seems to have that shiftiness element to his game. And once he does catch the ball, it's try to get him on the ground as fast as possible. Because if you don't, he's the kind of wide receiver that's going to make you pay. And he you know, kind of turns into a running back or a kick or punt returner as soon as he gets the ball. I, I mean, I, I only got a chance to watch the highlights from their game against you against USC. And there were a couple of, you know, non-remarkable plays in the sense that they're, you know, an eight yard pass or a 12 yard pass that he quite frankly made look pretty remarkable with his athleticism. So I think keep your eyes on number 11 on Arizona. I mean, he obviously had a really big game against USC and he's just one of those players that you watch play the game of football and he just looks different. He looks like he's in another gear than everybody else. So we'll have to make sure that we're keyed on where number 11 lines up and what he's doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And we're going to have to just tackle well in general. I think I stress that even with their running back Gary Brightwell, but they, they have some athletic guys that can make, make people miss, so not only tackle well but pursue the ball well cuz they're 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 going to make guys miss there's going to be some missed tackles but if we have good ball pursuit there should be a guy right behind him that is able to take that guy down even if they're even if they're making someone miss so i i look at that as a key to the game before we actually get into keys of the game so yep for sure um and then a third guy here that is pretty low on their death chart Stanley Barry Hill the 3rd Um, similar size to Tavion Cunningham, 5'10", 177. Had an okay year last year. He had 19 receptions for 288 yards and three touchdowns. But yeah, like I said, a guy that's kind of further down on their, on their depth chart. Um, if you look at it, but really factored in towards the end of that game against USC and really was kind of their full offense, on one of their later drives, I think it was their last scoring drive against USC. He ended up on the day with 8 receptions for 70 yards and a touchdown. He had that touchdown on that last scoring drive. Yep. Um so sounds like it's someone that Grant Connell ch- trusts in some of those kind of game time situations, so someone to again keep track of and be aware of. I don't know if he's really going to light up the stat sheet again week in and week out, but had a pretty successful day against USC, and again, some someone that Grant Gannell seems to trust. They have a couple like bigger wide receivers that are technically listed as their starting wide receivers. In Booby Curry, six two two zero three, he's a sophomore, and uh, Brian Castile, six foot one eighty five, a redshirt junior, and a lot of the talk that I've heard this week is kind of the size of Arizona's receivers that they have like big athletic receivers. Honestly, those weren't the guys that stood out against USC though. So I'm, I'm kind of pinpointing the guys that stood out a little bit more this year against USC and guys that I think could possibly give us trouble if we're not keying in on them. So I don't want to, you know, discredit Booby Curry or Brian Castile, but they didn't really have, light up the stat sheet this last week against USC by any means. So they could play a role, but we didn't really see it in week one. Um, we have a couple of defensive players. Arizona is not really known as a superior defensive team. So I don't know a lot about their secondary, but they do have a couple interesting players um, on, on their kind of defensive line slash like a rush and rush linebacker. The first one being Jalen Harris. He's got a really good body to him, number 49. He's 6'5, 258. He's their leading sacker from last year with four. Um, and this last game against USC he had six tackles, two of them for for a loss. And he also had a pass deflection. So obviously kind of a disruptive force on the defensive line. We're gonna need to block him well and make sure that we're aware of him on the field. Um and then they also have a grad transfer from New Mexico, Aaron Blackwell, who didn't play much last year. I think he must have been hurt. Um, but in 2018 for the Lobos, he had 29 tackles, four for a loss and two sacks. And in this last game against USC for Arizona, he had three tackles and two of those were for a loss. And you can't miss him. He's got long hair. He kind of looks like Clay Matthews up there out there, but he's – A lot bigger than him he's 6'3 293 pretty pretty big dude on their on their defensive line um and did 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 seem to be a disruptive force on against usc in that in that first game i don't know if you have any thoughts about those two players sam
1: yeah i kind of echo your sentiment i didn't see anything from arizona defensively that felt particularly special to me you know I, i think my point earlier in summary they have big long strong and fast athletes on their defense and you know if it clicks for them in any given week they're going to be a tough defense to go against but based on what i saw against usc i think there's some big plays to be had there i think you know they are i i'd have to say from from the plays that I saw against USC felt like their run defense was actually decent. I think they, you know, hold their own at the point of attack, but the bigger, more physical wide receivers on the USC sideline seem to win a significant amount of one on one battles, not necessarily were they creating a bunch of separation and being wide open, but they certainly were winning those quote unquote jump balls. And so that might be something to look for against this defense out of some of our Husky wide receivers that are bigger stature, whether that's a Ty Jones or a Puka Nakua. I I think there's some plays to be had against this defense, but that's, that's no slight to them in terms of their potential. If this Arizona defense really, brings their A game, it's gonna be a tough defense to play against just given their, you know, natural talent that they have on this side of the ball. But you know, USC's a relatively good offense. They have strong receivers, running back. Keaton Slovis is a proven quarterback in this league. So it could also just be a product of them facing a really good offense. But based on what I saw, there's some there's some vulnerable areas of that defense for sure that hopefully we can take advantage of
0: yeah no doubt let's transition to our side of the ball and talk about some of the players that we're looking at on the Huskies to make an impact on on this game whether they had an impact last week or not but now we have a now we have a week of of game film against Oregon State to really get a better idea at kind of what this Husky team is all about. And Sam and I had a pretty good inclination as far as what they were going to look like. I think they looked a lot like that. I would say for the most part in, in the first week, especially from a play calling standpoint, but like Sam said, I think there's some different vulnerabilities in this, in this Arizona defense um, from an offensive perspective that I would like to see us take advantage of. Um, and then on the flip side, uh, we have a, we have a defense that matches up pretty well if they're wanting to, wanting to throw the ball around. Um, so I, I think, I think I want to start this off by saying, Sam, you were correct about Cameron Davis and it may not look like it in, in the, uh, the first game against Oregon state where I think he only amounted like three carries for six yards or something like that. And then had like three, three more receptions for 19 yards, I think. But he had, he had probably the most impressive run of the night and it was a nice, nice run off the left side ended up getting called called back because of a questionable holding penalty against Luke Wattenberg. Um, but i think he gained about 13 yards or so on that play and it was a play that he made a couple guys miss and followed his blocks really well spun off a dude right at the end of the play and gained some extra yards there so i look i would like to see cam davis get some more opportunities in this game not only because of what he brings in the running like in the running portion of the game but also because he was our he was our leading receiver out of the backfield in the Oregon state game. And it seemed like that's a part of his game that the Huskies want to, want to spotlight. And I remember John Donovan going into this, this year talked about how he wanted the running backs to be a part of the passing game. And what better of an opponent to do that against than Arizona get some, some of these guys in some space. Um, You have, you have three athletic guys at the running back position that are really good out of the backfield catching the ball. You have Kamari Pleasant, who was a former receiver, so obviously can catch the ball out of the backfield and do some things with it. And as hard as we've been on him going into the season, he looked all right against Oregon State, so got to give him some credit there. You have Sean McGrew, who thrives in space. Like, that's who you, that's really who you want to get the ball in space. And, you know, whether it be a screen play, or um you know just to play out of the like a check down in the flat or underneath and he has some space in front of him he's a guy that makes some guys miss and just is a smart smart runner with the ball knows where to go with the ball and then obviously cam davis was was the leading receiver out of the backfield this last week and can do some special things with the ball as well like i like i noted earlier so I'm looking at trying to get the running backs involved in the passing game in, in this in this matchup against Arizona. Um, and Cam Davis is one of those guys that I've kind of circled, hoping that he can kind of break out in that, in that aspect and get some opportunities and some more snaps in this game.
1: Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more on the offensive side of the ball. I think looking over to the defense, I'm looking for us to pick up where we left off the Oregon state game, you know, it felt like we were really settling in and and finding our own towards the end of the game. And I'm looking for, you know, Sam Taimani, I felt like came on really strong towards the end of the game, particularly on that third and one fourth and one stops of Jamar Jefferson. So I'm hoping that he can really solidify himself as an, as a stalwart for our defense in the same breath, I'm also going to keep an eye out for Tuli Latuli Nasanoa and see, you know, I heard there are rumors that he was in pads for warm-ups and then changed yeah. into street clothes for the game. So maybe he is closer to contributing to game time than we, you know, maybe fearing the worst. Maybe yeah, I heard the same. Season. I think you're
0: probably right.
1: So I'll keep an eye out for him. I would love to see the pairing of – Sam, Taki, Taimani with Tuli, LeTuli, Nasinoa as our two starting interior defensive linemen. I think they both are essentially immovable objects and would pose a really, really potent run-stopping duo. I'm going to look for ZTF to pick up where he left off, especially with facing a team in the Arizona Wildcats that are going to drop back to pass more frequently than our last opponent. So there's going to be ample opportunities for someone like ZTF or even a Sabelle Smalls in an obvious passing situation to put some pressure on the quarterback. And then, again, earlier in the podcast, we talked a little bit about our deep safety Alex Cook. Didn't really get tested, didn't really show us much. I think he came up and had a couple of assisted tackles in the run game, but again, without Oregon state, really pushing the ball down the field. He was kind of hanging out in the back end of the defense by himself all, all game all night. And that's for sure going to change. So again, going back to, you know, when the original depth chart came out, this, Alex cook being our starting safety opposite Asa Turner took us by surprise, really have a lot of anticipation to, to see him get tested and and see what he can do out there. So I'll keep in my eye on that. And again, in the same breath, like feel like I got a little bit of a sneak peek of some experiments in that defensive backfield mm-hmm. in terms of getting our best five on the field. And will be looking for some of that maybe to be sprinkled in as well. I guess to summarize that last aspect of what I'll be looking for in this game is I think there's some sorting out that needs to take place in that defensive backfield, particularly yep. with that safety position with Alex cook, whether that's going to be a cam Williams, a Julius Irvin, a Kyler Gordon. Are we going to bump Elijah Molden back there? So I think there's a lot of interesting and unique pairings to keep an eye on this Saturday for sure.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I think the most obvious guy to look for in addition to who we've mentioned um, in, in this segment here is, is obviously the quarterback and Dylan Morris and see how he responds in his second game now. And obviously didn't, wasn't asked to do a whole lot in that first game, probably more than we gave him credit for in that post game show. Cause he did, he did convert some key third downs again, like Jimmy Lake stressed and some key fourth downs in, in him sneaking the ball. So I'm looking for him to make a little bit more of an impact on the passing game. Like you said, Sam, there's, there might be some vulnerability on some of those corners, especially matched up against some of our bigger receivers and I'd like to see them sprinkled in the offense a little bit more. Kate Otten's a guy that I'd like to see a little bit more in, in the passing game as well. Jimmy mentioned that they'd like to get him the ball more than they did against Oregon State. So uh, Jimmy mentioned that we're going to see a completely different offense or quote-unquote completely different. Like who we saw on Saturday is not going to be an indicator for who we see in, in, against Arizona this next Saturday. So I, believe I look, him. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, I think Sam and I touched on this a little bit off mic that we said that I think, I think it's going to be a week to week game plan. Like, I think, I think they're going to change their game plan every week and, and look for vulnerabilities in, in defenses, um, and defenses t- and try to take advantage of those. So they'll, they'll change their game plan accordingly. And I think they believe in the players that they have to make the plays they need to. And in those circumstances and in those situations. And so I think what Sam and I are alluding to is that we see the advantage possibly being a little bit in the passing game. We're for sure going to run the ball. Like there's like, we're going to run the ball and at the very least we'll be a balanced offense. As far as like basically 50, 50 split. I don't think you'll really ever see us throwing the ball around the yard, like a wazoo back in the Mike Leach days with like an air raid style offense but you'll certainly see Dylan Morris take more of the burden than he did in that Oregon State game and I think it might start this Saturday against Arizona Arizona
1: yeah I couldn't agree more I think we'll see Dylan Morris have the ball in his hands a bit more this weekend and we'll rely on our passing game and our wide receivers to step up and hopefully you know they, they need knocked off their cobwebs and yep you know, have better hands and help out their young quarterback and catch some contested balls this weekend that they didn't catch last weekend. But wouldn't it be perfect if we, you know, had a prolific passing day from Dylan Morris and Jimmy Lake walks into his post-game conference (laughs) with a pass-the-damn-ball
0: hat? (laughs) Well, I would totally appreciate that. I don't know if I ever see him doing that based on his comments today or sorry. I think it was yesterday in his press conference that basically he said that we're going to be a balanced offense and you're never going to see us move to an air raid style because that's not how you win championships. So I, I think that would be funny and I think it's fully worth you bringing that up because that would totally be Jimmy Lake just trolling on us
1: what he's like, done if, pretty much all if
0: if he did it it would be as a troll like he like yeah. i could see him doing it out of that aspect but he wouldn't be like i think the run the damn ball thing a little bit of trolling but like also some sentiment there like like some real meaning that he he believes in obviously running the ball we are built to run the ball at washington and obviously have the size advantage here not only in this game but in the next 3 games so it's going to be something that's going to be stressed, especially in this offense with a young quarterback. All right, Sam. Let's get some keys to the game. Um, again, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a different game than what we saw against Oregon, Oregon state. Yep. And I mean, on defense, I think it all starts with containing the running back. I alluded to it earlier. Um, we need to win the line of scrimmage a lot better than we did against Oregon State and I think I think some of that was just some personnel just shuffling in and out them seeing some young guys and they wanted to kind of get a feel for that and they'll still do that again in this game too again with it being a COVID year there's no impact on eligibility so they are going to play some younger guys because it doesn't impact their eligibility at all um, and gets them some game time Um, that being said I'd like to see uh, solidify a little bit more of a physical rotation at that defensive line spot. And like you alluded to earlier, I'd like to see a guy like Jacob Bandez possibly get some run. Um, it sounded like he, he had a pretty good game against Oregon state and maybe he gets some run over to a Like you said, yeah. I didn't think that Josiah Bronson was particularly impressive in that first game. So, um, Obviously, an older and veteran player, and and him being a red redshirt senior. Um, but uh, I'd like to I'd like to see him improve on that. And if not, then give some of these younger guys some some opportunities. I think with Sam Timani's strong game, um, if Thule plays, I think Sam will get some rotation with Josiah at that other DL the defensive line spot. So. More or less, we need to get a more solidified rotation, I think, going in there um, at, at that defensive line spot and really win, win the line of scrimmage. Um, I also want to see us contain a little bit better than we did. I thought Ryan Bowman was a little bit disappointing in that Oregon State game. He got upfield a little bit too much on a few plays and was trying to you know, create too much havoc and try too hard, I think. he's He's obviously such a – it's been one of his – things that we've praised for so long he's such a hard worker and you can't beat heart he I think he got a little carried away against Oregon State and possibly lost some containment and assignments and look for him to correct those though I mean he's a smart player been in the system for a long time so I fully expect him to 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 do so Um, we have a couple we have we have one other here here as far as the the defensive side of the ball Sam and I know that you're excited about one guy in particular, but I think there's there's some other guys that could could factor into this, this you know, key to the game.
1: Yeah, I think we need to get pressure on their quarterback Grant Gunnell and force him into some errant throws or force him to pull the ball down and try to make something happen with his legs, mm-hmm. and keep contained there. I think the EPF really showed a lot against Oregon State and so you know I again as I alluded to earlier he's no longer a secret in the Pac-12 and and teams are gonna certainly be shifting protection his way especially in passing situations and so uh, if he's able to replicate you know half of the performance that he had this past week that would be really something to keep an eye on for the rest of the season he could have a special season although it's you know shortened amount of games but look for ZTF to kind of pick up where he left off but I think Connor you mentioned it earlier in the podcast is the fact that we've you know in one game quickly established you know an elite pass rusher in ZTF so to speak that's going to Warrant attention from the opposing offensive line. And they're going to absolutely shift protection his way. And that's going to open up opportunities for someone like a Ryan Bowman or in a passing situation, a Savelle Smalls opposite of ZTF and Ryan Bowman inside. I want to and see
0: Savell's first sack. So I'm going to next Saturday, I'm going
1: to predict Savell gets his first sack this Saturday because oh, of man. that very reason. I think we'll get, Arizona in an obvious passing situation. We'll have or ZTF. Something. Yep, ZTF and Smalls at end. We'll move Ryan Bowman inside to defensive lineman alongside mm. Taimani or Josiah Bronson. And Savell Smalls is going to get some one-on-one looks because ZTF came out of the gate so hot. And I'm pretty high on Savell. I think he had a rough first game. He got caught out of position. A handful of times in the run game, he's going to have to watch some tape and get co- get that coached up and get it cleaned up. But I saw a couple of things last Saturday from Savell that were very promising in terms of pass rush. So that's one of my keys to the game. I mean, I think their running back is looking pretty solid. I think Brightwell is going to get get his. To your point, let's contain him, but let's force Gunnell to beat us. And yep. let's force the ball into his hands. And if he's dropping back to pass, let's put the heat on him. Make him, make him beat us.
0: Yeah, for sure. And man, if Savell ends up with his first sack on Saturday, you're going to find me in my living room alone, screaming my head off probably and beating my chest. And my wife is probably going to be, a little thrown off by that and probably leave the <laughs> house and she'll be for like sure. I'm, going, I'm, I'm going for a walk with the dog
1: yeah but hey you do have a number 17 jersey so I do If he does get his sack you gotta wipe it off
0: I do and that is a that is a Keith Price jersey but I anoint it to whoever is 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 in 17 at the moment on UW so if Savelle ends up ends up with a sack I for sure will be We'll be flaunting it with that jersey so
1: and then and then chug a beer
0: oh yeah i mean that's a given so (laughs) um as far as the offensive side of the ball I, i think we've talked about this already a little bit but we would like to see them open up the playbook just a little bit and let dylan morris not necessarily cook like russ but just let him take a little bit more ownership of the offense and put the ball in his hands and I think you saw what you needed to from in that first game to trust him in, in this second game against Arizona. And he delivered the, he seems to deliver the ball on, on time. It's accurate. Um, I do think he, a couple of times in that Oregon state game lacked a little bit of touch on his ball. I think he kind of fired it in there to a couple of his wide receivers that that ended up dropping the ball. And, by all means, they should have caught the ball, but he could have made it easier on them, um, making making it a little bit more deliverable, getting it a little bit more ahead of them as well. Um, but at the same time, I, I think he 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 showed you what you what you wanted to see in that first game, and I think I think you can fully trust him to definitely excel in some more passing situations against a a little bit of a weaker secondary in Arizona.
1: Yeah, I sure I sure hope so. And I think obviously weather permitting, we'd love to see that. I just checked the weather forecast for Saturday and it more or less feels like the same. It's gonna be you know, it could turn out just to be a cold, cloudy Pacific Northwest fall. I don't
0: think it's gonna be quite as wet, but it it could there could be a little bit of precipitation. Yeah, it looks like
1: in the forecast there's a chance for precipitation, a little bit of wind with gusts up to like 10, 15 miles per hour, which is definitely notable, but it's not going to, you know,
0: really. Shouldn't change a game plan.
1: Shouldn't change a game plan maybe like this past weekend did, but. Yeah. And to that extent as well, the next key to the game is, you know, really linked to what Connor was just talking about in terms of opening up the playbook and letting Dylan Morris throw it a bit more Help them out. Let's get our running backs involved. I know Connor spotlighted yep. Cam Davis earlier, and Sean McGrew has done some nice things out of the backfield for us in the passing game last season. So, I'm we're both looking to see if we can't get the ball to our running backs in the open field a bit more, and in ter- in, you know, mm-hmm. rolling out into the flats or going across the middle on some passing plays.
0: I think screen game, Sam, I know you don't like it, but screen game. That's what you know, I'm looking I for. love.
1: I love a well-timed screen. I don't like the screen game being a staple and pillar of the, I'm offense, not saying it should
0: be a staple, but I think I know I mean, you're we, not. we didn't see, we didn't see one screen last week. And I really think with the offensive linemen that we have and the size matchups that we have at wide receiver, even if it's like a bubble screen. I'm more looking at like running back screens, but even if it's a bubble screen to like a wide receiver. We got the size matchups there, man. And like these these offensive linemen like to get out in open space and block dudes, right? Like I mean, you saw Uluma Ale pull a couple <laughs> times on the left side on some some runs to the left last week and just, I mean, pancake some dudes and Looked athletic doing it, like got downfield quickly. Yeah. That dude can run for someone at 355. So yeah, I would yeah. love to see him and Wattenberg just get out there along with Jackson Kirkland out on that left side for a couple of, you know, screenplays that go 20, 25 yards. I could totally see that happening.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I think a well timed screen is the Mona Lisa of football. Yeah. When the opposing defense sells out for a blitz and you're like, ha ha (laughs) gotcha dump it off to your running back with three linemen out in front. There's nothing sweeter than that. I think part of the reason we didn't see that was probably, you know, Oregon state's game plan and a combination of their defensive game plan and our offensive scheme. Like we weren't hiding anything. We were going to run the ball down their throat and they weren't really selling out to come after us with a pass rush because right. we weren't passing the ball <laughs> and Amika
0: Rashid had no impact on that game other than blocking the punt after the bad snap so
1: yeah he's had a slow start to a season but I think that's you know a product of coming off a season with 14 sacks you're gonna have a lot of that's attention sure. thrown your way and yep. I not think a lot just of talent with, around him so yeah there's not a lot of talent around him and Obviously, two games into the season, Washington State and the University of Washington have basically run at will. So he's just not going to get a lot of opportunities rushing the passer. But mm-hmm. I think that's going to change again. I think there's some interesting athletes on this Arizona Wildcats yeah. defense. And yeah. I think they're going to play aggressive and try to get after Dylan Morris. And I think. Based on what I saw, Dylan Morse impressed me in terms of getting the ball out quickly and finding the open receiver, picking up some positive yards, getting the running backs. would love to see some more of that. And again, to Connor's point, you know, I I don't want the screen game to be a pillar of the offensive scheme, (laughs) but on a third down, the Wildcats pin their ears back and really come after us. John Donovan can just slip a, a screen pass in there at some point. It could be a thing of beauty and potentially go for six. So
0: I love even I like, like a second and long in, in situation because sometimes third and long is almost too obvious to go for obvious. the screen. Like you have like a second and eight situation. I almost feel like that's a really good situation for a screen as well. Um yeah. But yeah, I I agree, Sam. I it I'm not I'm not banging on the door or the table for it to be A staple of this offense but it's something that we didn't see last week that i think could work pretty well especially against an arizona team that i think we have some size matchups on in certain areas and uh, i think i think i do think the tunnel screens or some wide receiver screens could work pretty well as well um just just based on our 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 bigger wide receivers against some smaller corners so
1: Right. I think that's another thing that we maybe overlooked was I, you got to get somebody like Apuka Nikua more involved. And if yep. it requires getting him the ball on a wide receiver bubble screen or a tunnel screen, yep. like we got to do that two or three times a game just to get the ball in that playmaker's hands. But yep. you heard it here first, folks, honors predicting a, a screen play for a touchdown against the Wildcats.
0: I think it. it if I'm going to pick anyone that it's going to go to,
1: Cam Davis. I, w- I, really,
0: I really want to say Cam Davis, but I'm going to say Terrell Bynum. Okay. Just because of we saw him really work some dudes in the open field, especially on those yeah. end arounds. And it's an easy way to get him the ball in some space. And if you have, you know, like a Ty Jones, he's a good blocker in front of him or even puka is a, a decent blocker or, or you otten. get or you get kate otten involved especially if it's like a tunnel screen type thing kind of like towards the inside of like middle of the field i think terrell bynum can rip one off um he's got the speed to do it and again got if he can make one or two guys miss then it's it could be game over so
1: so there you go we've got a terrell bynum touchdown predicted by connor on a screen pass. I know that's not the only touchdown you're predicting. So might as well segue into your prediction for the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a little bit of a grinded out game again. Um, I know that we've talked about, you know, trying to be more explosive in the passing game against this Arizona team. And I think, I think there, there's a little bit of that in this game, but I do think we struggle in some instances. I do think we come out on top, but I think it's a one score ball game. And it comes down to a defensive line or defensive goal line stand at the end of the game. We are ahead 28 to 20 and we force them into a, like a fourth down and goal from like the six yard line. And they're, they're, <laughs> their quarterback run. I, I'm getting way too ahead of myself as far as predicting this stuff. I thought but you were
1: <laughs> going to say the PAC 12 officials blow it again. <laughs>
0: Not eh, maybe. I mean, it's possible. Maybe there's like a missed hands to the face or something like that on the play, or you know, a PI downfield holding downfield. But um, I think we we get some pressure on their quarterback and he throws it out 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 the back of the end zone and we end up end up winning winning the game um, with a defensive line or defensive goal line stand. I did that twice now, and we win the game twenty eight to twenty. How about you, Sam?
1: Well. I really screwed up the prediction for the OSU game. I think I had changed. You changed, 41 you changed this, this halfway team.
0: through the episode.
1: And then halfway through the episode, you know what? I'm going bullish on second, on second viewing of the game. I liked what I saw a lot more the second time I watched it than the first time. And I agree. I think we really started to hit our stride in the second half. I think the missed field goal kind of took points off the board in the second half. I think our offense was really commanding that game. The time of possession was pretty incredible. We sustained some long drives. Dylan Morris made some amazing clutch third down passes with pressure in his face. Our defense didn't give up any points in the second half. They seemed to really settle in and bend don't break type mentality. So, for that, I think we're going to pick up where that momentum left off last weekend and I think we're going to win 31 to 17 the offense is going to continue to roll you know leaning on that running game I really liked what I saw from all four running backs keeping some fresh legs back there would love to see some more Sean McGrew and some more Cam Davis and
0: I just want to see us ride the hot hand whoever that is yeah just let I, the hot I hand think, ride I think Richard Newton probably kind of had a disappointing game. in his his first outing this year and someone that we both predicted to have a pretty solid and be a big contributor in that running game. Um, I think he was was mostly used kind of as a short yardage back. He definitely got like a couple of drives and those were his drives, but primarily got his carries in short yardage situations and goal line situations.
1: And towards the end of the game against stacked boxes where we're just running the clock out
0: yeah for sure i would have liked him to i don't think he did a particularly good job um in some of the goal to go instances and reading his blocks and really finding the the hole or the space to you know maybe dive for the end zone i think he sought out contact a little bit too much and didn't really you know envision the hole very well so i'd like to see him improve on that um in, in this game against Arizona State or against Arizona, sorry,
1: I made the same mistake earlier, so no worries. I don't know
0: why. I think it's because it's Oregon State and then Arizona now. Like I think I'm just combining the two. So, so Sam and I are both predicting Husky wins. Um, my score line a little bit closer than Sam's. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see it going either way. And I could also see, you know, the Huskies putting another, putting a clunker out there. And, you know, if Arizona really has their game, they could possibly come out on top too. So I don't think this is necessarily a flip of the coin game. I do think the, the, the odds are in the Huskies favor. Um, but at the same time, Arizona is, is, is a tougher matchup than Oregon state. So we do need to keep that in mind. And I, I, I do think that we show some significant improvement for our from our first week, though. I think a lot of the struggles that you saw from us was uh, was characteristic of a team playing their first game of the season. And especially after such a long break and even a shortened off season at the same time, though, I mean, these guys haven't these guys have only really been practicing for a month and a half or so. If yeah. even so usually there's a little bit more lead up to the, the season than that. um so anyway both predicting wins hopefully we're both correct uh before we start wrapping up this episode though sam let's let's touch on some pro dogs a really strong week from the pro dogs this week um but why don't you get us started with some some of the highlights from some of the former uw players
1: yeah, I'll take the defensive guys if you want to take the offensive guys. So
0: Perfect. Yep. I'll
1: kick it off with Shaq Thompson. Uh, he had a forced fumble in the game. He had a handful of tackles plus some. Um, and again, just like really earning his money. Similarly mm-hmm. to Buda Baker, Shaq Thompson got a pretty solid contract extension that highly coveted you know, contract after your rookie deal expires is where you're going to make the bulk of your money in the league. And Shaq, I think, got a 50 to $60 million deal. And week in, week out, he's been a solid performer for the Carolina Panthers. Again, like I mentioned, came up big with a forced fumble against Leonard Fournette and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this past weekend. And then it seems like we've been spotlighting him quite a bit the last couple of weeks. Sidney Jones, been a little bit of a journeyman and the rough start to his NFL career, obviously really coming into his own, a stud at UW and tore his Achilles really tragically on the last rep at his Husky pro yeah. day before the draft Oof. and never seemed to really put it together with the Philadelphia Eagles. I believe he was drafted in the second round by them mm-hmm. and, you know, he got cut earlier this year by Philly and found a home in Jacksonville and now it seems like the third or fourth week in a row he's had a really big game against arguably a top 5 offense in the NFL in the Green Bay Packers he got an interception off a of future Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers he also had a forced fumble and as a corner he led the team in tackles I think he got beat by Devonta Adams on one play, but Adams is such a prolific wide receiver. He's going to get his, but Sidney Jones certainly got his in as well with, like I said, nice interception, forced fumble, and really solidifying himself as a week in, week out contributor to that Jacksonville Jaguars defense.
0: For sure. Yeah, no doubt. And it's good to see Sidney Jones, you know, like Jimmy said, face some adversity and then overcome it. And Jimmy, Lake obviously coach Sidney Jones and really likes coaching these guys with chips on their shoulders and guys that are, are, you know, embracing adversity and overcoming it. So Sidney Jones is just another example of that in the NFL here. As far as the offensive side of the ball, uh, a receiver that I don't think either of us would have expected to be talking about so much this year. No. But Marvin Hall is becoming quite the little NFL player and receiver for the Detroit Lions. Had another good week. Uh, He had two catches for 61 yards, and one of those was a 55-yard touchdown. uh, Long bomb down the left side of the field from Matthew Stafford, and they and in a in a win over Washington they made it closer than it needed to be at the end but Marvin Hall really carving out a role with that Detroit Lions offense and Sam I think you were talking about that he his contract might be up after this year and if if it is then he might be earning himself a little decent payday for kind of a role player in an offense you know two-year kind of 15 million dollar deal deal is kind of what I maybe foresee him signing if if all goes well for him the rest of the year
1: yeah I mean really having a nice year he's got two touchdowns he's kind of the big play guy in Detroit with Matthew Stafford having a strong arm Marvin Holt has had a couple of take the top off the defense type plays and a guy that you root for to Connor's point, didn't really make a name for himself in a purple and gold, but has always been an athlete. You know, he's really quick twitch, super high end top speed and Marvin had a nice role for himself on this Detroit Detroit Lions team. And you're happy to see people have success and doing the things that they love. And Marvin Hall is really stuck around in the league more so than probably anyone ever thought besides maybe himself.
0: Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I remember watching him at UW and he was basically a glorified returner on the Huskies back when we were in college. So I did not foresee this kind of NFL career coming from him, but all, all the more to him. I mean, he's, he's really proven some people wrong, I think. And with that elite speed, he's really using that as a as a weapon and in his offensive ability. So, this other guy that we're going to talk about is filling in for one of Sam and I's favorite favorite players, who's on injured reserve right now, in Miles Gaskin. But guess who's backing him up and filling that role pretty well? Is another Husky. So they got a Husky backfield down in Miami, folks. Salvan Ahmed really had a productive game against the Los Angeles chargers and might I add at, might I add beating a former duck and Justin Herbert. So got to rub that one in their face a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. End of the day with 21 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown. Um, Also caught a ball for five yards, but I mean, you can't, you can't say enough good things about how Salvans looked the past couple of weeks in his NFL debuts here, his first couple of times on the field, he's really, you know, seemed to come into his own and shined in the spotlight. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in that backfield. I know that the, the dolphins just released or waved Jordan ha- Howard, or I, th- I think that's his name. Jordan Howard was yep. a running back that was with them. So obviously that shows some confidence that they have in Selvon to possibly be getting the job done for them. And so long as Gaskin's on, on IR, I think Ahmed's probably their lead back down there. So pretty cool to see, you know, someone that was undrafted and signed with the 49ers um, as an undrafted free agent got released by them earlier in the year and then signed on with the, the dolphins when they needed some running back help. And seems to be, seems to be finding a home at least through a couple weeks here of him playing, playing some consistent ball for them. So it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out the rest of the year though. It's exciting to see a full UW backfield for the Miami dolphins. And I think Sam and I both agree. They're definitely our favorite AFC team right now, not only because of the the Huskies that play a role on their team, but also just because of the style of play. They're just a fun team. And Brian Flores is really turning around that Miami franchise, and they're they're a fun physical team to watch.
1: Yeah, and I'll throw in on top of that another reason for them to be our favorite AFC team is they're taking care of the Seahawks division rivals no within doubt. the NFC West, and so getting victories over the Cardinals and the Rams both, correct? Or the 49ers, sorry.
0: Uh, all three of them. All three of them? They went 3-1. and one. Their only loss was to the Seahawks.
1: Yeah, so gotta love that Literally from perfect. a Seahawks perspective. So, yep. big fan of the Dolphins right now, for sure. And it'll yep. be fun when, when Gaskin hopefully inevitably gets healthy.
0: Maybe they do a little 1-2 punch there. Yeah. I think
1: you're going to see a familiar 1-2 punch, but down in Miami instead of Seattle. So, might be fun to see how that shakes out.
0: About as far in the country as you can get from Seattle, but they're putting on for they're putting on for for UW for sure and you know the the reason that we bring up these pro dogs every week not only is because we like to see former players doing well but it really helps from a recruiting aspect as well you know young 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 players around the country see some of these pro dogs doing well and excelling on teams in the NFL and they want to know where they went to school and they see that If they keep seeing Washington pop up to their name, that's obviously going to put a spotlight on our on our program um, that we root for so hard. So uh, really plays a role in recruiting as well to see and spotlight some of these these pro dogs. All right, folks, I think we're going to probably call it a wrap here Um, before we do want to just remind you guys to subscribe and follow us. If you're two hours into this and at the very end, I don't know what you're doing other than you should, you should be subscribed to us and and follow us on, on on all the social medias and all that kinds of stuff. So uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, make sure that you hit that subscribe button and you should get notifications every time that we upload an episode. Um, Like Sam and I have said, we also really appreciate listener feedback and you can record us messages through the anchor app and we really like that interaction with our listeners and if you want to be fe- especially if you want to be featured in a future episode that's the easiest way to do so is record a-, record a question or a comment or a prediction if you have predictions for this saturday's game or you know whatever seahawks sounders whatever it is seattle sports uh, we love to talk it so please make sure that you do that and Sam and I listen to everything that comes in. So, um, yeah, I don't think there was anything else that we really had to touch on Sam.
1: Yeah. I would just say tune in on Saturday, November 21st, five o'clock PM Pacific time on Fox Washington Huskies take on the Arizona Wildcats. Currently we are 11 and a half point favorites. We'll see
0: if that a, yeah.
1: turns out Arizona's lost their last five games. We've won four of our last five dating back to last year. Take that for what you want, but should be, you know, early in the Jimmy Lake era. I feel like we got a little taste of what it's going to look like for the rest of the season, but I think there's a lot more out there to taste and see and looking forward to seeing more what this Husky team has to offer this weekend,
0: for sure. Yeah, I think this is definitely a bigger test than Oregon State was. So, looking forward to seeing uh, if if the Huskies can correct their mistakes from Saturday and really play a sound football game on uh, this next Saturday against against uh, Arizona. So, yeah, looking forward to 5 p.m. on Saturday, and hopefully we get there without any kind of interruptions. And you know, obviously. Again, like Sam and I have said every week, don't take these games for granted. Really enjoy your Husky Saturday, folks, because they're going to be few and far between. And never is the next game promised at this point, especially where we're at in this pandemic. Um, obviously, cases are rising all across the country. So stay safe out there, everyone. And until next time, go dogs.
1: Go dogs.